0: How you guys doing? Nice, all right. I told you guys, you have SAD too or whatever, seasonal affective something disorder, um, mood disorder, except that would be SAMD. it's not it. So yeah, when it's sunny out, everybody's happy. <clears throat> well, hey, welcome to The Random, my name's Todd on the pastor here, I'm really excited to see you guys, I really, really am. Um, if I clear my throat a lot, or uh, do that smacking sound, I can't, my allergies are terrible, so we're all battling, uh, so just pretend to ignore it, and I'll pretend to ignore you when you're coughing and sniffling and all the things you do, right? Hey, guys, I have a question for you, all right? Take a second. Got the jokes out of the way. I really, I really want you to kind of think this through. Who here has the goal to be average in general? Raise your hand. I knew it. I knew one person, one person, and it was Corey, of course. <laughs> my arch enemy. Um, Yeah, right? How about this? When you were a kid, how many of you said, you know what? I can't wait to be average. Yeah, no one. No one does that, typically. And who, let's, let's come back to adult life. Who right now in this moment, take a second, has a goal or a dream in their heart at all? Could be professionally, relationally. Uh, spiritually, whatever. Raise it high. Raise it high. Be proud of it. Be proud of it. Oh, look at that. Everyone. Everyone has has something. Who here, <laughs> raise your hand if those dreams are just average. They're like, I didn't think so. Okay. Stay with me. Who here would say that they wish they could do something, this may be related to your dream or maybe not, that they wish they could do something important and meaningful for God? Raise it high. Be proud. See? There you go. Yeah. Now, you don't have to raise your hand anymore. Does that seem, does it seem unrealistic? Actually, let's do it. Raise your hand if you think, yeah, I have this, but it's honestly pretty unrealistic. Raise your hand. Impossible. Don't tell me you're not supposed to say it's impossible. I know, right? God can do all things. I know that. So you've been trained. But really in your heart, if you're honest, it seems pretty impossible. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot of times. How about those that say it's not impossible? Maybe you say it's completely possible. But if I'm honest, when I look at whatever that dream or goal is, there's literally, I have no idea how that would even happen, right? Like, you, you can say, I don't even know really the first step to take. Yeah, that's, that's, I like when people are real. You can always tell when we're being Christian because we're like, mm, I've never thought anything's impossible. Not through Jesus. Yeah, right? Because we've been trained that way. How about this? Who believes, of those that maybe raised their hand, who have thought about doing something big for God, for the kingdom, for the church, maybe God's put something crazy in your heart, who here has really at one time or another said, you know, honestly, um, I'm probably a little bit too messed up where I'm at to do that, in whatever capacity that is. Yeah. How much too much junk in the way to get there, right? Sometimes it's not even your stuff. Maybe it's, I don't have the finances, right? Or um, we aren't in a good place financially, or we aren't in a good place relationally, or whatever else it is, there's some sort of, too much thing the truth is we all do that everyone does that everyone is told you know I've thought about this before have you guys ever considered that when we're kids at least my generation I I don't know if they're I'd say it's continued to get I think they're told this still Gen Z but I was like told you can be anything you want to be right Uh, honestly it's not completely true like I'm not going to be in the NBA you know I'm 5'10, 150. Get it? <laughs> well, no, Yeah. Right. Some things. But overall, yeah, we're told that we can be anything we want to be. But somehow, and I love that. And I actually think that beyond things that like we, we can't control, I can't control that I'm a seven foot tall shack, okay? But things we control, I think we can do anything. I really do believe that. Right? One of my favorite quotes is from Vince Lombardi: work is the price we must pay for success. You can accomplish almost anything if you're willing to pay the price. A lot of times people don't want to pay the price, right? They don't want to pay the price of work to get where they want to go. We all have, but some, I, I get lost as usual. My point is, like, that's a great thing to tell, but then somewhere along the line in life, and I'm, I'm looking at my own life, I remember the, te- the story being told, you can do whatever you want, you can, you can accomplish anything, and then somewhere along the line, the adults, older people in my life, started to change that to, okay, let's be a little realistic, Mm, mm, that's, not, that's not realistic. So it started with just kind of murmurings. I remember my, uh, my high school coach, football was a big part of my life, guys. Listen, I'm going to talk about it because it was my idol and it, it, for me. But I remember sophomore year, I went up to my coach, and uh, he's a Hall of Famer, good guy. Um, but he said to, I said to him, he asked me, I was like, hey, coach, do I need to move positions? Because like, I'm, I'm only 5'9 at the time. I'm now 5'10, so I really grew into it. You know, I'm only 5'9. I know that college scouts are not going to look at me. If I play this position, because I'm not, I may be big enough here, but I'm not big enough in college to play this. And he's like, I think you, sh-. he goes, I don't know really what he said. What's your goals? And I said, well, I want to play in the NFL. I told him flat out. And he literally chuckled, chuckled at me before catching himself and realizing, oh, I probably shouldn't chuckle. And he's like, hey, and then he gave, you know, I think you should just focus on the now, Todd, you know, which is good advice. But I remember thinking, like, walking pretty dejected, like, man, did you have to laugh. Like, you, you know, somewhere along the lines, we're told, we, we kind of hype kids up and tell them they can be whatever they want to be. And then we say, whether we become jaded, whether we're lying to them, the story changes. And now it is be realistic. And I think a lot of times our disillusionment with life comes from that. You have all these dreams, and, and we hype them up, and we say it can do anything, but we don't really focus on how to get there. We just end up saying it's either realistic or not, and the people that are lucky enough to stumble onto their dreams, right, then we, we, we praise them and make movies about them on Netflix and everything's cool, but most of us, that's not the case. I would dare to say most of you, I don't mean this depressing because sometimes we have dreams that God changes, but aren't actually doing or living the dream you wanted as a kid. Now, those of you that wanted to be Superman or Batman, I'm sorry, right, I was with you, but, you know, we give up on them and we choose things more realistic, realistic. Because what? We have too much junk. I'm too short. I'm too old now, right? At one point you were too young to do the dream. Now you're too old to do the dream. And in the middle you didn't. You were too messed up, right? Or whatever, too poor, whatever. The truth is, sometimes we do have too much junk. Sometimes there are twos in the way. We have things that we have to be able to do to get where we want to be. Does it make sense? Something you have, some you do have to sometimes take care of things. Example, me right now. If I want to wake up tomorrow and be a marathon runner, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I will die tomorrow if I go tomorrow and run a marathon. And I I run decent amount. I thought I was in good shape till I started this kind of running thing I'm doing lately. Nope, um, but. But honestly, right, you can't just say, hey, I'm going to win the Boston Marathon tomorrow. That's ridiculous, right? And then I literally wait. Maybe I don't even know when that is. And then I just show up in Boston, and I run it, and then I'm shocked that I didn't win. That's why we have the Couch to 5K. You've heard of that, right? That's a little app that says, hey, we're going to take you literally from the couch, (laughs) thank goodness, right, uh, to the 5K, which seems unrealistic at the time. Sometimes we have that. Sometimes we have things we have to do, steps we have to take. The problem is we tend to think that the two, T-O-O, that we are or the two um, that we have makes the dream seem hopeless. I know this is wordy. Stay with me. It makes it seem like changing or getting out of situations we're in are impossible because of the twos. Too old, too young, too dumb, too ugly, too lazy, too broken, too sinful, too far gone, too late. The twos make us not even want to take the first step. How could God use someone like me to do something like that? Because you can see it off in the distance. Those of you that had your hands raised and said, i got a dream. right? For something to, I want to do something for God. But getting there is scary because those of you who raised your hand, you said, I don't even know if I'm honest how I would even take that step. Typically, it's followed by a two because I can't imagine how I, Todd, can get to a marathon because I am too heavy, right? Too out of shape. The twos make us not want to take the first step. How can God want me to do something like that, especially when I'm two? How could I have a marriage like that when I am two, when we are two? Right? How can I be successful when I am too much of a failure? Two's getting away. There are too many obstacles. Truth is, a lot of times people like to remind us of how unrealistic things are too. So not only do we know in our own head that's I'm too old, too young, but then the people got to tell you too, right? Well, that's a little too unrealistic, you know. What they'll tell you is pray about it for 16 years. Right? I, I love that, man. Sometimes I, when I hear someone say, Hey, did you talk to your coworker about Jesus? I'm going to pray about it. I'm, I'm confused. Uh, what do you have to pray about when God already told you what to do? Right? I mean, He already told you. He, you want Him to give you another Bible written to you. I <laughs> See? Uh, Two. Anyway, it's too unrealistic. The situation's too ugly. And they'll tell us that. That's too big. Right? That's too big, man. It's too late. Here's the thing, and I want you to hear me today. I'm serious, because every single person in this room. There's sometimes that you preach things or, or say things from the Bible, and it's like, listen, yeah, there's probably only a segment that this applies to today. By the way, we still all get it. Get something out of it. But I think today is one of those days that it applies to every single one of you. I guarantee it. Here's the thing. God uses the two people. To do amazing things. That's what he does. That guy's too small, too old, too broken, too young, too lost, too evil. He uses the two people to do incredible life impacting. I mean this, I'm not saying it. Sometimes I'm mad at the world because they take our words, even in the church, sometimes they take our words that have so much meaning and they make them just platitudes. They mean nothing, they're just sayings that we say. But I mean this. I believe God uses the two people to do amazing things, life-altering things, world-impacting things. I believe that to further his kingdom. He does it all the time, and I believe he's still doing it today. Why? Because I see in his word all of the times he does it. He's done it from the very beginning until now, and he's going to do it at the end. That's what he does. He's going to take people like me who are too far gone, too sinful, too broken, and he's going to make me and turn me into a saint. He does it all the time. I believe that. I believe God uses people like you. I know he does. The problem is I think we get so caught up in the final result. So I want an amazing marriage that seems impossible. I want to heal my marriage. I want to have a good relationship with my kids. I want to get out of this financial situation. I want uh, to, to dive into this ministry. I want to whatever it is. We get caught in the final result because the honest truth is, guys, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have any idea or clue how he's going to take someone that is two and put them there. I don't know. But he does it. We get so caught up in that final result, the hill, that we don't know how to get there that the, we think about all the overwhelming amount of choices and steps that it would and could take to get to that call, to get to that dream that you all raised your hand about, to get to that crazy God thing. It is so far away. Maybe it seems impossible for someone like you or me to do something like that. But the beautiful thing is God isn't calling you and me in those moments to worry about the end result. He's asking us to follow him in the first step, the first decision, to take the first step in that direction and let him decide what's next. And listen, when we stack up all those little things, those little steps, those little moments of obedience, those little choices, when we stack them up, those moments of obedience that don't seem like they matter or have anything to do with the dream, when we stack them up, I believe we look around and we see that God has used all of the small things to do the miraculous. That's what he does. But you don't always get to see it in the moment of the small things. I'm sorry. And that's what hinders some of you. You've gotten tired of doing the small things because you don't think it's going to get you anywhere closer to where God promised you or where you want to be. I know it because some of you told me. I've done the right thing for so long. I've done the little things and it gets me nowhere. That's because you are so focused on where you're not that you're not excited about where you are. God uses the small things to do the miraculous. And here's the thing about God does it through the small people. Listen, I'm not under any illusion. In the big scheme of the world, I, Todd Blinn, right? Kim Jong Un or whatever his name is, over in South, is not, North Korea is not thinking about me or what I think. <laughs> they don't care about me, right? They, I'm, I'm, I'm insignificant in the scheme of the world. That's okay. Maybe I can't make the impact that I feel like God's called me to do. It's possible. I'm, I'm being genuine but I also think it's possible that he can and he will if I'm obedient in the small things. I think it can happen through the small people, the little old me's, the too old, too young, too dumb, too sinful, too broken. He has the small people do the small things so that he can do the incredible. I heard that yesterday. No, you didn't. Because if you did, you'd all be doing these incredible things. Because see, a world that focused on doing all the small things is a beautiful world. But we're too good for that. You've given God a couple of months, a couple of years, maybe your whole life. You're 20, and like I've followed Him my whole life. It's got me nowhere. But John Maxwell, he'll tell me how to get there. Is that his name? The leadership guy? Anyone? Pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I'm I'm like hit the popular culture now. No one else is. This is usually the other way around, <laughs> right? He has the small people do the small things while he does the incredible. That's what he does. If you don't believe me, do you believe me? You're going to say yes, but I don't know if you really do. If you believe me, let's, if you don't believe me, let's see what he has in his word. I have three stories. I know, Todd, that means lots of scripture. Even the guys are like, hey, listen, i got the 50 verses you have in there today, Todd, right? Yeah, sometimes I'm like, Phew. I always think of Clint. I bring it up. I was like, I don't know. They're goldfish. That's what you told me. I don't know if they can pay attention, but we'll try. Three people, three stories, all right? And I want you to stay with me to the end, because this isn't an, uh, an opinion. What I'm about to tell you is a fact. Okay? Got that? <laughs> oh, me too. All right. <laughs> I want to talk about David first. Everybody knows him. Yeah, whenever I say the big names, you're all like, oh, Todd, I've heard this. <laughs> you do it. It's so enraging, right? 1 Corinthians 13, love. I know all about it, Todd. Tell me something deeper. And I'm like, let's talk about justification. That's boring. <laughs> David, King David, stay with me. Pretend you don't know. Let's go on again. King David, in order, before we knew of King David, we had a story about, everyone knows, raise your hand if you've heard, David and the giant, David and Goliath. And he killed him with what? Stone. A stone. Yeah, he killed him with a stone. I even knew that story. wasn't raised in the church at all. knew the story of King David, right? So let's, let's talk about this. So before I get into, read the section, i got to catch you up. So Saul is the king. He looks like the rock. You might as well assume that. Right? Jacked, charisma, that smile thing he does, you know, <laughs> we're all like, oh, right? He's doing, he is the guy. And to be honest with you, here's a hard thing people don't want to realize about Saul. We always make him the villain, but do you know he didn't start that way? Hmm, what happened? He didn't do the small things. Anyway, so the rock slash King Saul. Right? He's standing there, and he's got his people, and they're about to f- fight a group of wild, savage warriors that apparently had some giants in there. Todd, that's unrealistic. Have you seen Shaq? <laughs> okay? So we got a nine-foot-tall warrior here. We found stuff that, that implies this happens. Okay, So let's just ignore this for a second. Substitute whatever height you feel is appropriate. A vicious monster. Okay, And as they're sitting there, and let me tell you something. The Israelites are not chumps. They have been at war their entire time. By the way, why? Because they weren't obedient in the small things get to some different, different point. So we forget that. We're always like, those little Israelites. No, they were deadly killers, right? They are still to this day. There's a reason they're around still. They're surrounded by enemies. They are bad, bad people, okay? So this isn't a bunch of chumps, and they're looking at these warriors, and I've always thought about this. So you've got the rock over here. He's looking, you know, tough. He's a king. He's sitting back. They got a big army, and across the way is another army, and back then what they used to do, and this was smart, kings were smart enough to go, listen, either way, <laughs> we're going to lose a lot of people, both of us. These are our men that work our farms, which means we don't get what we're supposed to get. What if? Just, just throw it out there. You send your best guy, I send my best guy. They fight, and we just say winner is winner. So whether that's exactly what happened here, that did happen a lot. This guy comes forward. He's nine foot tall. He's got a spear the size of a boat. It doesn't, he's a monster. And he starts mocking them and mocking the Israelites' God. By the way, that's your God. And mocking him. Now, there's a guy who had a bunch of sons. I'm just skipping the details because I'm already losing you. Okay, and he had a bunch of sons, seven, eight, whatever. I don't even remember the amount. I believe it's seven. And at the end, so most of his sons were at war, were in the army, most of them, except for one. Now, this is the youngest son who was probably pretty scrawny because, by the way, when you get to a certain age, even 13, 14, hey, if you can hold a sword, you're going to be in the – we need him, right? A bow, you can chuck something, right? But, no, he was over there taking care of the sheep, and what it tells us is – uh, he was the youngest, and so he's over here. La la la, sheep, and back over here with the Philistines. Essentially, the Philistines call him out, and no one wants to go fight him. He says, "If your God's so tough, come and fight me." Nobody will do it. Okay, and I'm sure they're justifying. That's what we do. You think they all just? Ooh! No, they're like, "This is not wise. We need to have a better strategy." When the truth is, they were scared. So we'll pick it up there. First Samuel 17. Verses 16 through 20. Hey, don't worry about it today because there's a story. Just write it down and look at it later. Just stay with me up here. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. Forty days he came out and mocked them. Okay? One day, Jesse had told his son David. David is the little scrawny kid. He was too old, by the way, to be in war himself, Jesse. Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. And also take these ten portions of cheese to the field, commander. Check on the welfare of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. There was Saul and all the men of, the, of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded up and set out as Jesse had instructed him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. So every day they're going to go out like they're going to fight and then they don't. <laughs> now today's the day. We're going to do it. And then, wait, the giant guy's still there. So let's think this through. Now, I didn't read you the part, but it says he would split his time, actually, between the flock and running to the, uh, to the field of battle. And I think the reason is found right here. Jesse wanted to know if his sons were okay still. Right? And he says, he'll give this food to the field commander. He wasn't because he just cared about the field commander. He's like, then no one's going to ask you, you know, why you're doing that, just see if your brothers are okay. The important ones. Right? The last son doesn't get much. So they come back. <clears throat> so that's what he did, right? If I'm David, if you're really him, let's just let's put, make him a human. You've got seven brothers, and they're all at war. You're a boy. You want to be where the men are, but you can't be. You're too small. You're, sorry, too young. So stay with the sheep, with all the safe people. I'm sure he wanted to go many times. I'm sure he, could, he was like, Dad, let me take a sword. He could have, but it doesn't give us that indication. Instead, it says he did what he was told to do. He got his stuff and the next day he ran to do this. You know the rest of the story. This boy shows up and I envision he's handing bread out and he hears the giant call and say, Oh, your God's weak. If he's not come, you know, come out and face me. And he looks around and he's like, Oh, this will be cool. And nobody responds. So he says, I'll do it. You know, and you imagine the whole crowd going, And so we all know he goes get some stones. I don't need to tell you that, right? we all on the same page, but listen. 1 Samuel 17, 48 through 50. When the Philistine, Goliath, started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank his forehead into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. After that, he cuts his head off, runs around. The Israelites get brave, and they charge, and they win the battle. So not only did he beat the giant, but he helped win the battle. Listen, you already know what he becomes. Shepherd boy becomes King David, who becomes the psalmist, who becomes the one whom they call Jesus, the son of David. Was that shepherd boy ready to be the writer of Psalms, even if he was really good at slinging stones? Was he? Was he? Could a 14-year-old write about love and fear and sin and brokenness? Could he inspire us at any age? No, he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready even to be the king yet. We know that God chose him, but he wasn't ready. I know, that's confusing. Stay with me. Listen. But the king and the psalmist would have never existed without a boy willing to obey his father. I'll say it again. You thought I was going somewhere else. Had the boy done what many of you do kids and all of us if they had not obeyed their parents if he had not said okay dad i'll do it we would have never had david and goliath and who knows if the israelites would have even survived and we certainly would have had king david and we wouldn't have the psalms if they've ever comforted you you would have never had that all because a boy said okay dad because god told him to do you think when he said yes to taking the bread to the field that he knew he was going to be killing a giant no did the small thing. A boy that watched sheep that was not big or important enough, that was too small, too weak, too young, and was not important enough to even go and watch the battle. This boy became the king of Israel and the writer of Psalms. Jesus called, was called the son of David, and he became these things by taking food to his older brothers. Do you understand? We don't we don't I don't hear many sermons about David taking food to his brothers. Because we skip it. But one doesn't happen without that. Some of you, you're so focused on being the king that you're not willing to serve your brothers and sisters. Bottom line. You know, that's why a lot of people hop churches. You know, there's a there's a strange misnomer. I mean, there's times, right? You get called somewhere, I believe that. But a lot of times it's just because you're not king or queen fast enough. You're being asked to serve, you're being told to do what God told you to do, so I don't, I don't like that. Let me go find somewhere else where I already get it without taking a step. The thing is, we, we, we're okay with that in Christianity today. Because there's a church on every corner, we accept that. The shepherd boy... Became the king, became the psalmist by taking food of his older brothers. You with me still? Let's go to guy number two. It's this is crazy guy named Simon. They called him Peter, right? One of my, used to have, honestly, I used to say I'm like Paul, you know, because we all do that. I'm more of a Paul than a Peter. And honestly, as I, as I learn more, I'm like, ah, I don't really know. <laughs> I might have a little Peter in me too, the bad stuff, mainly. I want to start right at the beginning, okay? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 2 through 11. I know it's a big section. Stay with me. He, capital H, who is it? Jesus saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. I love this, by the way. Yeah, you Put yourself there. He got into one of the boats, which belongs to Simon. Jesus just wanders up to the edge. He doesn't know him. He goes, hmm. steps in the boat that he doesn't own, okay, and asks him to put out a little bit from land. So he hops in, and if you've ever, the Chosen does a great job of this once again. You should watch this. But if you haven't, I mean, I just picture this, right? He's over here. He's had a rough day, no fish. He hears, feels the boat move. He looks, and some random stranger is standing here. And the guy goes, hey, man, you mind pushing out a little bit? Right? So, Belong belonged to Simon, asked him to put up, out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, listen to this, because this is us. We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. (laughs) I like to think he adds this part. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. There he goes again, like, I think you don't know what you're talking about. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so so full that they began to sink. Do you understand this miracle even here? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Hmm. Arguer, right? I'm not going to read it all, but guys, listen. The gospel are literally filled with stories of Peter constantly telling Jesus how to do things right. It's so funny. If you stop viewing it as St. Peter and you view it as a human... I mean, every time. Hey, man, this is a wrong decision. Hey, I know, you know, you're the teacher, whatever, Messiah, great. I really think we should go here. Constantly, constantly. Betrayed him, left him, right? You all know this? Denied him three times? Acts chapter 2, verses. And Peter, Jesus had told him, you will be Peter, the rock of the church. It didn't sound like it when you watched the beginning. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, tells us, after Jesus left, all the people are arguing and debating and the Jewish people are here. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them. This is the man who said, I don't know the man. Proclaimed to them, "Man of Ju- men of Judah and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. Drop down to verse 41. So he preached to them. The man who was afraid to even say he was with Jesus told the Jewish people, this man is the Messiah, which is a death sentence. And so those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day 3,000 people were added to them. And you guys, this should be familiar if you're remnant folk. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The pessimistic fisherman became the apostle who became the rock of the church. Listen. The man who started the church, who led the early church and set its walls on the foundation of Jesus, the rock on which it was set, was the man who had to lower the nets. It's such a simple thing. Go out and drop the nets. What if he hadn't? What if he said, "Noah, you've heard it. Some of you do that. Me, I've had a long day. I'm not doing it, Lord. I don't want to love my wife today. I've worked all day. I don't want to submit to my husband. That's a stupid word. I'm sure he didn't actually mean do what he told me to do. Right? I don't want to go to church today. God's okay with me right where I'm at. Anytime you start with the phrase that me and God are okay, you already might as well know you're justifying something. You're like reminding yourself that even though I'm messing up, he still loves me, which is true, but doesn't take away the fact that you're being disobedient. The man who started the church, who led the other church, and set its walls on the foundation of Jesus was the man who had to lower the nets. What if he hadn't done that? Then he would have missed the miracle of the fish, would have then probably not fell to his knees and said, you are Lord, you're something special. And Jesus wouldn't have looked down at him and said, follow me. Who then preached the first sermon ever told, And 3,000 people started the Christian church that you are a part of today. Because why? Because he lowered the nets. The small things. The things that don't seem like they take a lot, but, you know, it took a lot of faith for him to do that. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Because something inside of him said, even though this makes no sense, this guy's special, and I'm going to do it. And he did it. And he saw a miracle because of dropping a net after a day which makes no sense to do it again. An unintelligent Jewish man that wasn't good enough to be a Jewish priest. We know that by the fact that he was wasn't making fisherman. A man too stubborn and cowardly became the rock that your church was built on, but he had to first lower his nets after fishing the same waters all day and getting nothing. Let that sink in. Moving on. You ever heard of Paul? Me too. I like Paul. And then every time I read about who he really was, even though he says it throughout the New Testament, I'm shocked. We see Paul first kind of show up. His name was Saul then. Jesus changed his name, right? Saul. And we see him in the story of the very first martyr. Martyr is what? Someone who was killed because they, in the name of Jesus. Right? They are killed for their faith. And as we see here, we see uh, Stephen was his name began to talk about Jesus. And he preached to these people. And they said, you better stop or we're going to kill you. And he preached anyway. Beautiful story because as he lay dying, right, and it says Saul was there. After it was done, they came and laid the robes at his feet. Saul had some sort of authority as a priest. And he said, and this was important, he said, Saul agreed with his death. You'll see that in a second. And they stoned this man to death. And he had the heart to say, by the way, God, don't hold this murder against him. That's not the point. That's a whole other thing. But we're going to pick up there, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. There's a section where it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. A devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter the house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Saul agreed in putting them to death, and on this day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. A devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So it goes on. We find out later the very next chapter, which is actually chapter 9. I see what happened now. Um, we hear this starting in Acts chapter 9, verses 4 through 9. So he goes on his way after killing him. It also said you heard in this section I gave that he was uh, Saul was ravaging the church. He would literally go house to house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Right? This is not a good person. On the way, on a trip, falling to the ground, he sees a he sees a light, and he falls to the ground. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was blinded on the road. The murderer who killed and was there at the death of the very first Christian, he is far too gone. He is far too evil. He's far too against Christ. And yet Jesus stopped him. It says here in verse 9, He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. And so he got up and went inside. And we know there that another man prayed for him. By the way, this man... I didn't even tell you about him, but he said, hey, you're going to go, Saw the persecutor's coming, you need to go pray for him. You want to pray for that guy? I don't. I'm like, that guy's going to kill me. But that's kind of a big thing, so we won't talk about that. But Paul went into the city, and we all know what happened there. He began to preach to the Gentiles. And guess what? You're a Gentile. You know Christ because most of you, I guess I don't know your past, but we would be considered Gentiles. So the murderer and persecutor. The man that was too evil, too dangerous became an apostle and a preacher to the Gentiles and gave us most of the New Testament and he was used to change the world by starting with walking into a city while he was blind. That's it. Right? You sit here and we're all like, I would do that. No, you wouldn't. Most of you would lay on the ground crying because you can't see anymore. I would and saying, God, you're evil. Get up. Get up go into the city that's it he didn't tell him he's going to heal him he didn't tell him you're going to meet someone he said go in there I'm going to tell you what to do next it all started with this man he didn't even hear the gospel yet really this man listening and walking into a city while blind right after he's blind he walks in a small thing it all started That Paul the Apostle, who encourages you today, didn't start that way. He was Saul the persecutor who walked into a city blind. Okay, so I've I've shown you specifics, yeah? You see that? You guys get what I did there? I hope, are you thinking today or asleep? I can't tell. Say, do this if you're thinking. Okay, good. (laughs) I know, Corey, I don't look at you. All right. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, okay? You can actually go to this one if you want. The Apostle Paul tells us this, tell, puts us into words what's happening here. Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. And What that's saying is, listen, there's not many people that are important in the world's eyes. There just aren't, right? Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something. Oh, that's so beautiful. So that no one can boast in his presence. But it's from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became God-given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, the one who boasts must boast in the Lord. It's wordy. You ready? Not many of you reading this, listening. Praise God for the famous people that are believers, right? There's not many. Not many of you will have a voice that's going to change the entire world, that you were born that way, born into it with a voice, a silver spoon, any of those types of things. But he tells us here that God uses the twos, the two people, to do incredible things no matter what anyone says for one singular reason because when they see you do these things and they tell you that you are too old too small too strong too weak too sinful too broken too far gone too much of a loser when they see you do this they will see me and they will give me glory you will point them to me not by your power but in your weakness Right? We know the verse, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. What that means is stop focusing on the twos, because in your 2 I will be glorified. Because they're going to say, how'd you do it? And you say, because my God told me to. But see, some of you think you're too good for the small things. You think you should skip to the head of the line. You know, from the very beginning, Jesus has tried to get us to understand this simple fact. He said the first will be last and the last will be first. You don't get that. Even here, he is flipping the script. He is taking away our opportunity for pride. He is letting us understand who we are in light of a perfect God. Most of you are in the place where you think you're not good enough. You are too far gone to be used. But some of you in the room, you don't do the small things because you think you are too good. Either way, you're too focused on the twos. You know, that's what happens to, to pastors a lot of times. No matter, you know, every time, every time something, you know... I don't believe pastors start out, you know, the, let's say the bad ones or the ones that are hateful or mean or anything else. They don't start. You think they genuinely start out doing that? Most of the time, I don't think so. There probably are. Some of them aren't even saved and they're gifted. But I'm saying even the good ones that they can be believers and, not, and, not, and lose their way, it starts because at some point in line, they start to think, I'm too special. This is me. I'm doing this. And the problem is when you think you're directing the ship, then God's like, okay, go ahead and direct it. It's not good. Take it from me. And it's a subtle thing, man. It's a subtle thing. But one of the clues, whether you're arrogant in this room, listen to me, whether you are prideful and rebellious and arrogant is you are too good to do the small things. If that's you, you need to check your heart. Because you'll never get your dreams that God has given you if you're not willing to do the small things. You see, God uses the small, insignificant, despised, the two people throughout history. He prefers it. Why? I told you again, but it bears saying, because they're often humble, too. See, you have an incredible opportunity. You know, everything, it is true. It's another thing that became a platitude, beautiful saying. Let your test become your testimony, right? Oh, yeah, Christianese. It's a beautiful saying. That in your things, the things that you do, the things you struggle with, that it will become a powerful testimony if you're faithful. Okay, Todd, Well, that, okay, he uses insignificant people. I hear you there. I've already given you a little clue here, but how does he use those people? How? How does it happen? Jesus himself, Luke chapter 16, verse 10, very small verse. Whoever's faithful in little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in very much. You know, I believe some of you may be given an opportunity. God has called you to something incredible, but it all hinges on whether or not You're willing to be faithful in the small things because what he's saying is listen, you think you can handle what what that now? You can't even handle not saying that word I told you not to say. You can't even handle saying no to that guy or girl that you're not married to. You can't even, you can't say no or yes to the small things that God tells us to do. And yet you want to be king when you can't even take bread to your brothers? You want to be queen? When you can't obey those in authority over you, whoever that is, the how of the small things, the how of the two people being used by God to do amazing things is found, listen to me, I I like words, I'm sorry, it's found in the small things. You want to know how? I'm telling you right now. You want the dream you had? Raise your hand if you want the dream that you had, that you feel God's calling. You really want it, if you're honest. Listen, I'm going to give you a... Todd, tell me how I'm going to tell you. You don't need Oprah to tell you. I'm going to tell you now. Stop focusing on the hill and focus on the first step. I want you to take the challenge of focusing on the small things. Can you smile at someone? Can you love someone? Guys, listen. If you can't love your brothers or sisters and obey God, even in that, if you can't forgive, you can't lead. If you can't stand in the face of criticism when it's the five people in the bar, then you certainly aren't going to stand in criticism when you're facing a thousand. Do you understand? Our hearts are shown. We are being prepared. You have to start thinking that all the little things, the setbacks that go, God isn't answering my prayers, that's ridiculous. He is preparing you. You don't know what's on the other side. That's, yours, that's you being focused on the big things. God can only move if this happens. Really, who's God then? Your father loves you, bottom line. And I do believe it. I'll say it right now. I don't know, but I believe you if you say God has put something in your heart to do. I believe you, and I believe you can do it. But you got to learn to walk before you can run. you got to be obedient in the small things. I say it all the time because it's the one that makes you mad. You know me. I'm going to ruffle your feathers, and I won't see you for three or four weeks, but I'll say it anyway. You don't even go to church. I have people all the time come in here. They'll come here for a week. They'll start coming, and I love it. Dude, if this is you, dude, 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 you can tell I hang out with young guys. If this is you, I'm going to believe you. But a lot of times, sometimes it works out, but I'll get someone come up to me, and they'll go, hey, man, I would love to lead a ministry here. I would love to preach at your pulpit. Literally, that's happened to me. And that's fine, right? Okay. When I say, um, "Well, do you go to church somewhere? No, I'm going to start coming here. Okay. All right, man, well, hey, let's talk in you know, a couple months. See how you feel. See if you still feel that way. Two months later, I never see him again. I never see him again. You, it, you I'm a Christ follower. I'm a killer for the kingdom. I am this, but I don't go to church. And I'm going to prove with a verse that doesn't exist that I don't have to. I was that guy. I'm telling you. I, you know another reason I harp on this all the time? Because I was 100%. Andy will tell you. I argued with this dude. How many times I argue with you? Tons, right? I don't like telling him he's right, right? He, look at him, yeah, he's still, yeah, every time he mentions going to church, he looks at me a little and winks, right? And I have to go, yeah, I know, you are right. He's right, I argued. And did I have biblical arguments? I had some, right? They weren't good, but I had them to justify myself. And listen, and yet, God's sense of humor, hey, we should start a church, right? And, and, then, and then all this other stuff, that's what he does. Help start a church. But the bottom line is, We have to be willing to do the small things. I was that guy. You know, God gave me gifts. I hate saying it because I hate myself, but it's also arrogant to say I don't. He gave me some gifts. And I started, you know, when people, when we started doing this thing, I started noticing stuff happening. (laughs) And it was happening fast at one point, okay, early, early on. And I just rolled with it. And, like, it was so funny to admit this. Guys, I don't like admitting this to you because I still struggle with it. I had a person tell me I had kind of a, a fall seven years ago. It really hurt our church. Um, it, it, it hurt me, set me back, you know. And I had a guy. I don't even like the guy. And I think he's a jerk. Um, I'm just being honest. But I, this can prove that some, he spoke truth to me. And even though I don't like him, it stuck with me. He said to me, he said, Todd, and I've told this story before. He said, beyond the sin that everybody sees, Beyond the sin that everybody sees, what was your sin in this? I thought it was such a weird question. So I, for once I said, let me think about it, right? Let me, let me think about it, which is rare for me because I fire off. And I went, and I remember driving right after he did, and I pulled into my apartment. And I'm not joking, I'm exaggerating. I had a moment of utter fear as I realized that I, I saw myself standing in front of the throne of God. He's massive, and I'm standing there, and I'm saying, look at me, look at me. Don't, don't pay attention to him. You know, knowledge without wisdom, and wisdom only comes through experience. Knowledge without wisdom is like driving a sports car with no steering wheel. You'll get somewhere fast, but you're going to hurt a lot of people and crash eventually. That was me. Because I wasn't willing to do the little things for God to train me in preparation for where I was at. Now, God is good, okay? And when we repent, and I'll tell you that, anyone use my life, I am not a good person in my flesh, right? But God accepts a repentant heart, and don't let anyone tell you that you're too far gone. But it starts with, right, I had to go through things I didn't want to do. I just shared this with some guys the other day. Um, I was trying to teach them how to journal. I don't remember who it was. If you're in here, you can raise your hand if you remember the story. But I said, I read directly from my journal from 2013 in which I said, I'm impatient to be restored. (laughs) But I also know I don't want to get back to where, yeah, back to where I was, right? I don't want to be... The process every day of doing the things God tells you to do, whether it's in failure or success, is not always easy. But I learned something. It made zero sense for me to be here today looking at you. I'm telling you right now, it makes zero sense. Every bad thing you heard of me, you know, it's you know so funny. I do this all the time, too. I didn't used to. I used to be so insecure because I thought about what you guys thought of me. And then I was like, "It, honest to goodness, it doesn't matter what I do. You eventually don't like me, at least for a day. So I just stopped worrying about it. But I used to, like, people come up and they say, is this true? And you know what I used to say all the time? And I still will say it if I don't know you. Well. I'll say, yeah, just go ahead and assume it's true. Now what? What if the thing you hear is true? This goes for anyone that's ever made a mistake, by the way. Because, see, we put labels on people. Because what are you really saying about God? about Jesus, the gospel, when you say that someone is too far gone, that they did something too bad. What do you mean? Like murdering people? Murdering Christians? Denying Jesus? What, what things are you talking about? But, right, you know, there t- it takes humility in that too, that like you got to walk that stuff out. I wasn't in my notes, but I thought it, it, it was important to tell you guys. Some of you make mistakes and it seems like it's too late. And I'm not going to tell you it's going to be fast or easy. But advice from one brother to another brother or sister. Quit worrying about, for me, whether when I was going to be restored and worry about every step. Because the testimony's in the steps. You see what I'm saying? It's in those small things. Will he do it long term? The how of the small things, the two people being used by God to do amazing things found in the small things. We stop worrying about the how and start obeying the do. Quit worrying about how you're going to get there. Your dream, I just told you I think it's real. So now stop worrying about how you're going to get there and do the things you know. Oh, man, someday I want to start a ministry. I want to, I have no idea how to do that. Okay, well, what do you know how to do? What do you, what have you, What you have no options on this. Love people. As you go, tell them the gospel. Serve Do it, because God uses all that as preparation. You've heard the stories, of course. I do believe that David's time as a shepherd was used to train him. You think he just woke up, magically knew how to use a sling? I bet you anything he used that sling many times, right? Driving away predators and all that thing. But in the moment, it's like, here I am. I'm fighting, I don't know what's out there, lions, cheetahs. I don't know what's out there, right? I don't think there's wolves. We always say that, but I'm not sure there are in the Middle East. Maybe. Anyway, he doesn't think that. As he's hitting him, I, I bet he doesn't think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the king of the world. Some, I'm not the world, but king of God's people someday by using a slingshot. No, he's like, Mother Trucker, there's another dog. <laughs> That's why I'm not good. I said Mother Trucker. Anyway, we stop worrying about and able to tr- be trusted with the bigger things, period. Some of you are like, ah, I want to do this, I want to do this. Okay, show him. Show him that you can be faithful with the little things. Show him you can be faithful with your money. Man. Boy, we had a rocket started a couple weeks ago, right, guys, in the church? Like, I could say it. All starting from money. That's where it started from. Hey, man, you know, hey, person, late, whatever. Anytime I come and go, hey, if you're around the rent a lot, I don't talk about money a lot. Yeah? Let's be real. I don't because I'm too prideful. Part of me says, I don't need your stinking money, right? But it's not about the money. It's about your heart for God. And so my job is to sometimes say, hey, are you giving? No? Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And then, okay, well, have you prayed about in a long time? It says you've been giving Two dollars. Back when you worked at, you know, as a part-time hot dog seller, you're now CEO of the company. You're still giving two dollars. Have you considered praying about it? You make four hundred thousand a year. Have you considered? Pr- no. I'm. How dare you? And then they, you know, they quote to me, the penny verse. Right. Anyway, different story. But anyway, my point is not to shame you. When we all do that, we all don't like our money. Why is money always brought up? I bring it up now because it makes you mad. And the areas that make you mad are the areas I need to poke. The areas that God's trying to get to. Not to shame you, but to to free you from that. In fact, uh, Luke 16.10, believe it or not, and it's a a bigger picture thing, It also he's actually talking about the context of money. It's in the very same section that at the end he says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. I mean, it's the same thing. Do you read his word and pray? I want to be a leader of my church. I've never read the Bible in six months. It's not a quota. I mean, it's for you, though, right? I don't pray. How about the husband that leads when it's hard? On well, the short term, she's mad at me. Okay, <laughs> you want your wife to be happy or holy, ladies? You want to be happy or holy? You decide. Well, you're mostly going to say happy, but I, that's only short term. Being holy means following God. It's not about Him being better than you. It's about your submission to God, not Him. But if but the truth is, if you don't submit to your husband in those moments, that's a whole other. I'm going to do this sermon. I've been putting it off for four or five. Like literally a couple months because I'm scared of you ladies because you get mad and then you tell your husbands to leave because I told you to straighten up. So I, I try not to do it. So I just keep yelling at the guys. But then they're like, why are you always yelling at us? Um, the husband leaves when hard. The child in this room. I'm going to be, I don't know, a worship leader. I'm going to be a youth leader, but you don't obey your parents. I want to be king. Okay, David, take this food to your brothers. No. A wife that submits to her husband, in every do and don't that God has called us to do in the Bible, that there is no gray area, in every do or don't, God has a purpose. Do you believe that? He has a reason for your good and also for your training. I'm going to say this super fast because I'm running late the last couple weeks. I just feel so motivated. I know, Corey, and you're here. So I only say the short ones for when you're gone. Listen, and that's what you get. I want to tell, uh, <laughs> I, pr- I promise he looks grumpy. He smiles at me sometimes when you're not looking. Uh, we've created this really funny scenario where they actually think we're enemies. This is great. Uh, listen, I want to tell you a quick story about my own life real fast. When I look back at all of this, and to you guys that just come here, like, yeah, it's a nice little church, but it's not a miracle. It is. I could tell you tons of stuff. Um, you know, we were given this property for, actually, a guy right here. He do not want to hear it, but this guy was faithful in a small thing. You can't see him. Don't go to him. That will make him embarrassed. But this guy was, was faithful in a small thing, which was calling us, He doesn't even go here all the time. It's not, and says, "Hey, you guys still looking for a building? Because I know a guy. One small thing that your small thing led to this. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that pretty amazing? Probably don't think that, but it's true, right? Anyway, I was just want to brag on him because that's funny. You're here in this story. When I think of the miracle of this place, I all the time I'm sentimental. AJ and I talk about it. We're little babies. Ooh, the pastor's great. <laughs> Good old times. So when I look back at the start of my ministry, guys, I didn't want to be a minister, minister, <laughs> pastor, whatever you want to call it. I didn't want to do that. I'm telling you right now. I didn't want to do it. I loved Jesus, but I didn't want to do it. I wanted to play professional football as that began to fade, and I realized that five, ten guys of my hue don't often make it, okay? Bottom line, played my position. And that's reality, okay? Look it up statistically. Um, I started to go, okay, I'll be a coach an English teacher, or a lawyer. My parents are really pushing for a, a lawyer. I actually ha- even had a friend of mine's brother-in-law, he was older than us, he was a dentist, and he gave me two grand one time to pay off this thing so I could go back to college. I need to do some for him because I didn't make the deal. Um, he's like, I'm going to do this for you. And I was like, I'm blown away because no one's ever done this. And he said, here's the deal. I was like, I want to pay you back. You know, I had no money. <laughs> he said, you don't have to. You, when you graduate from law school, it's my gift to you. But that's how much it looked like I was going to law school. Like, this was happening. So anyway, skip a bunch of stuff. There was a day after I graduated college, the economy tanked, and that kind of dates me. But we all know when this happened. And I was arrogant, turned down two jobs. I'm not going to law school because I realized that costs money, too. <laughs> and also you have to pay for college, which was a shock to me. <clears throat> and then I'm, I take a job. I'm from Napa, Indiana. I live there. It's about 45 minutes away. And as I'm looking through, I had some experience in college working at a youth center. I see an ad. Uh, for a part-time, I believe, 15 hours a week, $10 an hour, okay? I'm like, I got to do something, not even for the money, because I'm going to blow the money in the drive. I just wanted to feel like my life was not falling apart. So I drove all the way to Columbia State. never been here, okay? I was told, for some reason, why this guy told me this when he called. He's like, listen, man, you can come here for this interview, but I got people with master's degrees because of the economy. Time. I got 60, 60 resumes, there are people with master's degrees in education all this. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I guess I'll, <laughs> you know, I don't know if he was warning me now that I think back on it. Uh, but I drove all the way up here, and I pulled right here, if you're from this town, in the courthouse. So I don't know how to, if you're looking towards, like, the nook, looking at the courthouse in the back. I parked on the left side. I can tell you exactly the spot. And I sat there, and I almost left because I'm like, I am scared to death. Like, I'm not going to get this guy already. For some reason, scared me. There's, I'm not going to get this. But I had prayed, and I was in a pretty humble place, and I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to come here. So I sat in that car. I'm going to even tell you the nerdy part. And I sat in that car for 20, probably 20 minutes, literally. And I was decided to not go. I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm going to come up with a story, you know, whatever. And then I, uh, and then it just hit me. I was like, no, I'm going to do this. And I played the Braveheart theme. I had the uh, soundtrack, which embarrasses me. And I did. I played the song. Uh, it's very inspiring. Yelled freedom and got out of the car. Anyway, I, I walked all the way inside, took, took, the, uh, took the thing. And you're going to say, how did this appear? Took the job, and it was exactly what it was. Okay, And I stayed, and God taught me things. Taught me how to love people that shouldn't, that are unlovable. Taught me about preaching the gospel, right, to people that didn't want to hear it. Taught me. Uh, then he grew that position into a full-time salary position because I tried to leave again because I wanted to go work for Bowen Center and make more money. He's like, hey, I'll stay here. And then I had talks with people like Susan the, randomly who was volunteering there, right? You remember this, Suze? And God's preparing my heart, and I can tell you a 100 different stories. And I knew I see what the church is, the beauty of it, but I saw a lot of the ugliness too, right, Andy? We saw that. People that didn't want to go to the untouchables. People that say, we don't want them. Why don't you take them to your church? They said that to me. And I said, so you're telling me if I had a church and I brought all these people here because my job is connect to churches, you would support that? Yeah, we don't care. So I did. And a lot of people along the way, and it's not just me, but when I look back in my life, if I had drove away that day, I wouldn't be standing here today and had no idea that I would be led here. She's going to come uh, play some music. I'm going to leave you with a list. I know I've gone long. Here's three things to take with you. One, the importance of the small things. I'm just bringing, I've already told you. Number one, you aren't too anything for God to use. If he has told you or is calling you, then trust it. That includes the things we know in the Bible that we all have and the things that may be called you. Stop worrying about your twos and listen to him. Number two, focus on the small things to prepare yourself for the big. Right? Do it. Don't just take this today and walk out of here because I've already, you know, I have went long. You might as well listen now. Number three, don't get caught up in the end result or you might miss the miracle of the moment. You know, along the way from from outside in the center to now, you know, sometimes everybody's like, oh, you know, this is what what your life's been. Here's the biggest moments of your life. It's not, I'm gonna say names. It's Jason's, it's Zach's. It's the people that I would have never met that God let me be a part of their life when they were 15 years old. That's the miracles. What I do today is no more important than I did then. I just have a microphone. Don't miss the miracle of the moments in the small things. There's, there's things in that. Listen, are you too young, old, broken, sinful, dumb, ugly? Are you too much of a loser, too much of a screw-up? Do you have too dark of a past? Are you too far gone? You are, you are never, listen to me, if that's you, you are never unable to be used by God. His love for you isn't dependent on your twos, and neither is his plans. Sometimes we think he loves us, but he doesn't want to use us. The dream we're calling isn't too big if God told you or called you to it. Stop worrying about how big it is and worry about that first small thing. You know what it is. The first step, the first act of obedience, the first move towards God. Take that step and watch God take the small things to create the miraculous. Are you being held back by your twos or someone else's twos of you? If you let fear stop you from the small things, does it feel like God is far away? But if you're honest, you're not even listening in the small things. He's saying stuff, you just don't like what he's saying. He asks you to do. Do you not even listen to the little things? Let today be the beginning of change by taking the small step. Ready? This matters. This altar time, this time for you to respond, it all really leads to this moment. This is the start of the show. You and God. Maybe it's confession confessing to someone. Maybe it's coming up for prayer. Maybe it's forgiving people. Whatever it is. Are you willing to do that small thing? And If you're in this room and you're all those things too far, too wrong, too sinful, too addicted, all of those things, me too. You don't have to be cleaned up first. Jesus says, come as you are. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The gospel is simple. God made everything perfect. He set us in, the, in this perfection, this creation. He said, you do what I say. I'm God. You're not. We're all good. And we said, no, I'll be God. I reject your small things. We see what happens still today. And we are doomed by our own actions. We are guilty before a righteous God, and we are doomed to hell. It's a fact. Is it really fire? It doesn't matter. It's not pleasant. That's where we're all headed were it not for one small, insignificant carpenter who was truly the Son of God, who did the small things, becoming like us, to show us how to live, to show us right and wrong again, and then do the incredible thing, to pay our penalty on the cross. He died so that you never have to. And empowering you through His Spirit, the same Spirit that He then proved Himself the Son of God by raising from the dead on the third day, He says, I will give it to you. I will empower you to do the small things and the big things, but you have to do something first. You have to do one small thing. You have to stop pretending to be God and let me be God again. You have to accept that you're sinful and broken and you're not good enough on your own. What does that mean? How do I accept Christ? It means looking at God and saying, I know I'm a sinner, I've messed up. Forgive me. I want what you have, I turn away from my stuff. Don't worry about how you're going to turn away from it. He'll do that. One small thing. And the Bible tells us that when we confess with our lips and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That's it. I know. I know. I'm not supposed to say this. It's gone long. I get it. I believe this is important today. For the next five minutes, these five small minutes, ask God what small thing he wants you to do. If you don't know him in this room, it's gonna seem like a really big thing, but it's not. It's a small thing to walk to the front and say, I want Jesus. I did it. I did it. It was scary, but it's worth it. Whatever you do, let this count. Make this count. Don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.